Hi, my name is Margarita Ariagada. I am the founder of Valde Beauty. And for me, it's a matter of homage. In a world obsessed with newer, faster, cheaper, history, going slow, and creating something with intrinsic value that can withstand the test of time has been lost. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. Perhaps this perspective can truly only be understood by those of us who remember a time when we weren't all tethered to technology. But don't be fooled, this is not an OK Boomer moment. There are brand founders in our midst walking the line of creating businesses on the traditional fundamentals of building luxury brands while embracing the philosophy of Web3. Margarita Aragata is one of these rare founders, leveraging decades of beauty experience to build Valde, a luxury beauty brand seamlessly navigating the traditional beauty landscape while pioneering the metaverse. Hi, Margarita. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have tremendous amount of respect and admiration, so I'm humbled and honored to be here. Oh, thank you. It's been so nice to actually meet you in person. We've had the opportunity to do some events in LA and you are always so supportive and showing up. But aside from that, it's just been nice getting to know you this year. Likewise, Kelly. Thank you. I've been wanting to meet you for so long. I'm excited. Yeah. So I want to set the stage for our conversation with the founding of Valde. You've had such an amazing career in the beauty industry before becoming a founder of a beauty brand. Can you share a little bit about your professional journey and the impetus for becoming a founder? Sure. It's a long career, but primarily in the retail sector. I started out on the selling floor while I was going to high school working in a department store. I thought that I'd wanted to be an architect and starting off as an interior designer, but people in department store felt I had talent, so I shifted my degree to merchandising. And I worked, I started out, believe it or not, my first job was behind the clinic counter. But I spent most of my career in fashion. I thought that I wanted to be a fashion director. I grew up in stores and I was regional store, assistant store, general manager. I was in the buying office, buyer, divisional merchandise manager, etc. Initially in fashion, then in the home area, and then eventually before I moved into beauty. But I think that throughout that time, before I moved into beauty, I had a long career, both in retail and on the brand side. I think what I was known for was just this ability to to travel the world, to look for artisans, to look for concepts, to just sort of discern the landscape and commercialize concepts, turn them over for them to be industrialized and continuing to explore. And as I think about my journey in beauty, when I joined beauty, I didn't expect it was sort of a serendipitous type of an opportunity. I think what made a difference for me is that I didn't come from the conventional cosmetic beauty industry. I came from different worlds that looked at beauty differently. And for those people who are listening but don't know your career, you spent a big chunk of your time at beauty at Sephora, sort of in the early days. How many years were you at Sephora? 11. We used to say in Sephora dog years, it felt probably like 20 because we would accomplish <laughs> so much in such a short period of time, but it was 11. Yeah. 
What was it that made you decide to become a founder? Because what you just described, being that close to sort of founders and finding ideas and helping people commercialize them, you really have an understanding of what it takes. So I'm sure you have a healthy respect for the process because it's certainly not an easy one. But yet you decided to sort of jump in with both feet. Yeah. Amen. Well, I never had intentions to be a brand founder. I thought that my mission in life, my mission and purpose in life after I left Sephora was to continue to support, which I still do today and mentor brands and be a champion and be the behind the scenes individual. But there was a pivotal moment in time after I left Sephora really wanting to explore. I felt that it was time. This was at the peak of the social media movement, and I wanted to get back down to the ground level and experience what I thought would be a, a sea change. But my mother had passed away, and shortly thereafter, a couple of years after, I had a profound reflection inspired by her and her relationship with beauty and specifically with lipstick. It had always been armored to her. And at the end of her life, she didn't recognize me. She had suffered from dementia. But every time I took out that lipstick, she would perk up and pucker up ready for application. And she would look in the mirror and she saw a beautiful woman looking back at her. Initially, I thought that I would, and as much as I didn't want to be a brand founder, I couldn't kick this thing out of my system. I really resisted it. I think that the rational part of me and the fear of failure and all these things and the reality that, you know, nobody needs another lipstick brand. Really, I fought hard with those thoughts, but I couldn't kick it out of my system. And so I began to write this narrative that was really an homage to my mom. And when I, in the process of creating that narrative, and in thinking of what the brand could potentially be like, just sort of playing with that thought, not allowing myself the permission to really fully think it through. I think the combination of my reflection on the industry, my love for the industry, my love for the brands and for the customer, quite honestly, just sort of kicked in. And it became a concept that was really larger than me. And that's what pushed me through with fear and intrepidation. The reality is, is through that journey that I wanted very much for this brand to stand for women stepping in into their own selves and being their authentic selves. I had realized that I, in coming to this moment of truth and facing my fear, that I had really not done that for myself and so this brand took on a much greater significance and meaning because it's become a journey about me and coming into and stepping into myself and facing the truth. And much of those truths have to do with my perception of the beauty industry and the opportunities at large. Margarita, since we've met, I've become completely intrigued with not only what you've built, but how you're going about building it. The industry currently, I feel, is obsessed with this premiumization of mass and sort of the idea that you have to create something at a certain price point. Yet you've launched an unabashedly luxury product when it feels like no one's launching luxury brands anymore. And also, the beauty industry has also been obsessed with young founders. Yet you are one of the founders pioneering the NFT space as a beauty brand. And I think that 
Very often gut instinct gets overlooked in the data-obsessed world we live in. So I'd really love to know if you could share a bit about your process and what's driven the strategy for Foul Day Beauty. You're zigging when the rest of the industry is zagging, I guess is the best way to put it. You're right. And that is such a scary thing. I definitely feel that I'm forging. I used to say that I'm traveling in the path least traveled. And now I realize I'm on a path of my own, carving a new path. There's no one traveling in my path. But I think it comes from this aspect of my empathy for the customer. I think that's never left me. I am someone that to this day is in stores every single week. I've traveled around the world. I've experienced different cultures and I've experienced the humanity of things. And so my process is very much of, I research a lot, which is the reason I relate to you so much. I observe and I'm a listener. And so I watch what's happening around the world, every single aspect. I travel, I'm on the selling floor, I'm speaking with people. Then I think that there's something that comes out of me that comes from a much deeper place. I think it's always been that way. And I have a tendency to think, well, why not? Well, what if? And why couldn't it be this way? And with this particular project, I didn't have a brief because it was such an homage and it came from a place of wanting to pay respect and revere that I approached it from a creative standpoint. It was a sculptural, it was a creation. And so it didn't come from a brief and it was a, a bottoms up and turned out to be what it turned out to be. But certainly this, the perspective kicked in and the process is very much about listening, reading, reading between the lines. And I felt that there was an opportunity where the customer needed to be, I want to say the word gifted in a metaphorically way, there is an opportunity for her to feel valued that above and beyond selling a product that he or she wants to be heard and being part of a conversation and, and being celebrated. That's my process. And yes, it does come from a gut. I don't know about you, but I feel like as an industry, we're sort of speaking out of both sides of our mouth. On one hand, we say we're committed to sustainability and reducing waste. While on the other side, it is newness, 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 newness. And it feels like that newness growth lever is in overdrive at the moment. You know, we used to see new launches twice a year, and now the velocity of newness, I mean, it is literally constant, so much so that we actually do a weekly roundup of new brands and products collaborations that launch because there's no other way to really keep track of it. And in the 20 plus years of being in the industry, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. And I also don't feel that the beauty industry has ever been more competitive. I'm really curious to know your perspective on the current state of the industry. Because what you're building is sort of like a foil to what I just said. <laughs> yeah, the antithesis. I don't love the state of the industry right now, and hence the reason why I'm in it. If for no other reason to provide some voice and perspective, it's a platform for me to share and contribute, not to criticize without contributing. But I think it's saturated. It's over-commoditized. It's too fast. 
to your point, and it's being devalued. I think that this is the most hurtful aspect of it. It's being devalued at a time when, you know, costs are going up. And I think the industry, the product, the brands are taken for granted. And so I believe, well, the customer at large has a huge appreciation for beauty, obviously. It's a lucrative industry. I think what they're appreciating about it is less so much than what they should which is all that goes into the creation of a product of a brand and what beauty inherently means for people. I think that that message is being lost, but in this over-commoditization, unfortunately, is being devalued. This is a product category that even if it retails for $10, it's worth more than $10. It is so much worth than $10. There's just so much that the customer does not perceive and or understand because we're so fast of what goes into the creation of that. I'm disappointed and hopeful that we're living a moment in time of which people are pressing pause and stopping to reflect. And so I'm hopeful of a future that will evolve for a less is more, more quality and more purposeful, thoughtful brands. I sort of feel like 20 years ago, it didn't require VC money to launch a brand. So many of the brands that have become strategics in their own right, Creme de la Mer, NARS, Bobby Brown, Bliss, they were founded in a different time where VC money wasn't really at play. And I feel like there's so much money involved on the sidelines, placing bets on these brands. Once you take that first check from someone, everything changes and it has to be on growth. And I sort of feel like that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think founders are finally realizing that there is another way. I think and I hope that success is being reframed where it doesn't have to be a billion dollar check from Estee Lauder because we all know that that's the anomaly. But that success can be as simple as you start a brand and it pays your mortgage and it sends your kids to school and like that's success too. I don't know what you're feeling about that because I do feel like this venture capital flood of money into the industry sort of changed things. Yeah, well, it's not talked about because it's not popular, you know, <laughs> to bite the hands that feeds you. And so, you know, I'm happy to talk about it because while I have tremendous amount of admiration for the financial community. The beauty is completely inundated in the financial community. And that's a major aspect of what's changed and quite frankly, driven the heart and soul out of the industry because you're answering to shareholders and it is an agenda that's primarily driven by finances as opposed to brand development and the customer, having the customer be at the forefront and, you know, being your North Star, it very much is, you know, how do we organize these numbers on the P&L sheet and the bottom line? That's really what drives the agenda. And so 
I think your perception and your observation is absolutely right. And we define success. I mean, I remember the calls of which, you know, when I first launched, I launched in the middle of pandemic, holiday 2020, everybody was deep into math and I launched a lipstick concept. Did you expect it to be a flyaway success? No. Yet people said to me, so how is that launch? Expecting that these launches, you know, guess what? I'm still launching. I'm still in launch mode is what I say. And, you know, in taking my time to build a brand that I do want to be iconic and that I do measure success entirely different. I measure success by my ability to have gifted this customer that I feel needs to be valued and by how I might impact the industry. That's how I measure success. It may be in a small way, but I'm hoping that there's contribution in some way, shape, or form, even if it's from an influence standpoint. So yes, you are right. Hence the reason why I'm courageously trying to add voice and influence to a, a movement that moves in the opposite direction, even if slightly. I don't know whether it's been forgotten, but it takes a long time to build a brand. I think one of the interesting things that I've seen is that we're seeing brands that have been two decades in the works, Paula's Choice, Dr. Dennis Gross Skincare, Pacifica, that are still relevant, took money much later. But if you speak to all of them, it's about how long it took to build a brand to understand their customer. So this idea that a brand can be built in three to five years, that's difficult to pull off. I completely agree. And those brands that you mentioned started at a different time, which makes a difference. Now they may be able to take advantage of the democratization of beauty to reach a broader audience and you know may need the finances. But they started at a different time of which you could really think thoughtfully about your brand in a 360 kind of a way without the rush and the pressure of you know, what's that next product? And this is what I have to do and, you know, do it in a faster way. I find it so interesting that you've launched this brand that sort of is the antithesis of the fast beauty mentality, where the product itself pushes boundaries in almost a very traditional way with the attention to detail. Like each product is a piece of art in and of itself, but yet you've thrown yourself in the middle of the metaverse which is this topic that has gone from zero to 100 in what feels like overnight. So while your approach to the product is, I guess, traditional, you've been this early adopter and held actually your recent product launch in Decentraland. So there's no shortage of opinions on the metaverse and NFTs. But I would love to hear from you what it is about the metaverse and NFTs that have made it such an integral part of your brand strategy? Thank you for that question. I'll start first by saying that a part of the reason to have this brand, in addition to being an homage, is to contribute. And because I mentor a lot of brands, I get a lot of questions casually from a lot of people. I've always been a forward thinker. I'm interested in the future. And so I didn't enter the space to really emulate the current playlist and as much as explore what the future could be. And I, quite frankly, I felt that the current playlist is outdated and not wanting to, I mean, I struggle with having to 
bend down to algorithms in order to express who your brand is and where social media is today, or you don't have to do a dance number on TikTok to be relevant, even though I think the world of the platforms. And so I entered the NFT space in a very serendipitous way because I was creating or in the process of creating a product that was artisanal. It was going to be a limited edition number. And I had, in my background, having worked in the art industry, I understood that I was going to need a certificate of authenticity. And so down the rabbit hole I went, and when I had heard that NFTs were sort of the digital version of that, that looked in the blockchain. And so I began to immerse. And because I research and I, you know, I'm sort of Alice in Wonderland, you know, exploring things, I began to explore and I was fascinated. NFTs led me to the metaverse. But what I loved about it is, number one, NFTs, for me, it is a value creation opportunity. And what I wanted to express in my brand is how do I create value beyond price promotion? <laughs> you know, how else can we create value? And the NFT space, the opportunity, you know, I do see it as a new social currency. I do see that today, the time that we spend on social, what we're doing right now is a version of Web3, a metaverse which is a necessity, not at the expense of not experiencing in real life. So I don't think that that's what that is about. But as we do, I do think that we will be tokenizing and that there will be a new version of social currency. And I think that NFTs offer the opportunity for value creation, either to invest, value creation, either for people to have a role and for creatives to really express what they need to express. And I love the fact that it places value on the individual's talent as opposed to other people monetizing, right? So if you're an artist or you're a musician, there's a lot of other people that make more money probably than you do. And in this world, because it is more unregulated and decentralized, allows the opportunity for you to create on the blockchain and encrypt and receive dividends as a creator. But as a brand, I saw it as an opportunity to create community, more authentic community, and value through it. And so the NFT project that I launched are these quartz vessels, of which all the net proceeds of that are being earmarked, which we're getting ready to kick off, a Latinx beauty entrepreneur grant. And those are the types of things that you can, the communities are far more authentic. The people are in passion. They share values. And it feels like the type of community that should exist that I did not see in the Instagram space or in the TikTok space or in the Facebook space. And so you get really pulled in. You see the shared value. And then the metaverse which is a part of Web3, which is a more immersive experience, despite the fact that we have a traditional brand that is about craftsmanship and it is about emotion and intention and purpose, the metaverse just allows for this imagination to come to life. You can dream the dream in so many ways, shapes, or form because it is being built as we speak. It is an immersive experience. And so artistically, 
as I approach this brand from an artistic standpoint, it allows me the opportunity to dimensionalize the brand, to collaborate in ways that I didn't think possible. And so what I did is I partnered and collaborated with an artist that could express what the brand was about. And if you look at some of that art, you know, it's very much women in armor, it's beauty. And all of a sudden now you have the opportunity to storytell and to really explore so many other ways for the brand to come to life, as opposed to here it is, just product. And lastly, what I would say is that in Web2, I saw it as an experience. For, for me, it's always been underwhelming and never really delivered for me in the way that I expected it. But it felt like a one-way conversation that we're talking and we're talking to people. And in Web3, it's a two-way conversation. And people are involved, they're co-creating, they're collaborating, they're participating in each other's growth and development. And it feels like it potentially could have a future of where your customers, your fan base can benefit from that co-creation. You know, I see a lot of opportunities, obviously. For a brand or an individual that might be a little intimidated by the metaverse or NFTs, What's the best way to get started? I would say the best way to get started is to join the Twitter spaces and Discord, which is a platform for NFT projects. Twitter is where most of the conversation happens. You know, you begin to follow a few people. The community is extremely collaborative. And so you are seeing people jump in that, you know, will say, I know nothing about this. And you will see a lot of people that will take you under their wing and onboard you, as they say, and help you along the way. And so just beginning to listen and understand the dynamics, you know, takes place on Twitter. No different than being on Instagram, except that this is a lot more targeted and extremely collaborative. The beauty industry, regardless of what we all say, is still very much obsessed by youth. Your core consumer base is Gen X. And as a member of that generational cohort, I feel like the beauty industry is overlooking a tremendous opportunity by not addressing this consumer's needs. It goes far beyond menopause. I love all the innovation that's happening about menopause, but Gen X is not all about menopause. <laughs> In your experience, what do Gen X consumers want? And do you agree? Absolutely. It goes without saying it is a, they call it the generation that people forgot for a reason. So yes, I completely agree. I think what this audience wants is to be talked to, spoken to in a manner that is respectful, that that understands us better, a generation that has been sandwiched in taking care of their, you know, the youth and, you know, taking care of, you know, their parents. For me, it comes down to the humanity of it all. Understand it and work backwards and what is needed. And, you know, this is a generation that may or may not be on social because there's just so much that they have to juggle. And so what are the needs? And, you know, be spoken to in a manner that feels heard and seen 
in order to identify the solutions above and beyond menopause. I feel like as everyone is chasing, you know, first it was millennials and then it's Gen Z, you know, it's always chasing sort of the next emerging cohort. I sort of feel like, you know, Gen X is right there with a tremendous amount of spending power. And yes, I mean, being Gen X, maybe I take it more personally, but I'm like, why doesn't anyone see sort of the opportunity that is sort of right there? Yeah, because it's not cool. You know, it's not considered to be cool, right? We're chasing the shiny object. We're chasing opportunities. We talk about the data. That's what you said, right? How do you see beyond the data? Well, the data says, you know, this is going to be a large generation with a lot of spending power, yada, yada, yada. And we're very much a trend-driven industry. We go hard. I mean, you said this, right? Sustainability. Sustainability is a thing. Okay, how do we do this? Refill is a thing. Okay, quick, let's all go do refills. And it's been obsession towards first, you know, millennials and now Gen Z and overlooking the spending power. I mean, hey, I'm a baby boomer. (laughs) You know, I'm not Gen X. I'm a baby boomer. And I have a lot of spending power. And guess what? I have a lot of wisdom. And so... I see a future, quite frankly, even though my core base is Gen X, but really what I'm trying to do with my brand is have it be multi-generational. I'm really trying to drive inspiration across generations. You know, my brand is an homage to my mother, and I want to see us pay homage to our seniors and to our grandparents, and I want to see this closeness between the youth And many of our fans, many of the fans of Valde are young. You know, I want to see this breakdown of barriers because it needs to happen. We need to help each other out in order to really impact in a broader way beyond the industry. You're absolutely right. I really think that businesses that are able to put together teams that are cross-generational, that can have a meeting without sort of the eye roll, I think there is going to be sort of a competitive advantage to that because so many brands really are, maybe they're targeting millennials, but millennials have become moms, like lives change, so brands need to evolve. So I really think that there's so much that generations can learn from each other. And there's, there's a lot of power in it when you can make it work. I see it in my mentorship. I do mentor young brands. I just had a session with a brand who asked me to speak to their teams, their young teams. And it was such a great exchange because they like that perspective. I certainly love their heroic efforts. But I do see that the youth is reflecting and they want to see more. So I am very hopeful. I hope in a humble way that, you know, with my brand, we can have more cross-generation narrative. Valde Beauty is a very personal brand. It's an homage to your mother. And it feels very much an extension of you as well, sort of as a person. So what's next for the brand? The most important thing for me is contribution. So right now, what's immediate short term is that I am getting ready to launch a Latinx beauty entrepreneur grant. In fact, hot off the press. And so for me, what's next is always about thinking, how can I contribute in a much more significant way beyond what am I going to launch? Am I thinking about what I'm going to launch? Yes, of course. But really what I think about is how am I going to impact? 
And how can I impact in the industry? So what's in my head are very radical things, to be perfectly honest. Very, very radical things that have much to do about how do we get the industry to collaborate, right? I mean, you said this, right? We're living in a very competitive environment. We're living a moment of uncertainty. We're living a moment of which, geez, you know, sustainability is just so, so, so important. And yet still, well, I think I have a brand that I feel is a nod towards sustainability. I honestly do not feel that I'm doing enough. I don't feel that having a refillable product or me trying to come up with the next formula with just a slight version of someone else's formula, you know, slight improvement or shade this just a slight improvement. I'm still putting out more product out there that people don't need. You know, I think about those things and think, well, how do we streamline and yet still succeed? And so I always think about, which I, you know, even while I was at Sephora, because I we had this retail platform of you could influence the brands into doing things that, you know, were for the enhancement of the customer. I still think in the very same way today, what can I do to collaborate? Because I don't see myself as a competitor. I see myself as an augmenter and a collaborator that can make a difference in customers' lives. And so right at this moment, what's in my head above and beyond what I'm going to launch is, can I explore the metaverse perhaps and, you know, an NFT in order to educate, help educate and thereby contributing? Can I be that guinea pig? And or can I forge breaking barriers within the industry? Can I be a conduit, if you will, a connector to bridge institutions and competitors to collaborate in behalf of the customer enhancing their lives and having this world be more sustainable. So this perfectly leads to my last question, which is if you could change one thing about the current state of the industry, what would it be? Oh, the promotional activity for sure. I think it's devaluating where it doesn't need to be. I think their beauty has so much value to offer. And I think we're driving it into the ground. I agree. Well, Margarita, thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts today. And you have certainly been, in the short period of time that we've actually gotten to know each other, an amazing collaborator. So I look forward to what we can do together as well. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm humbled and I'm honored. Thank you. My very best wishes. For Margarita, it's a matter of homage. For the moment, the concept of luxury and beauty seems to have fallen out of favor, being replaced by brands focused on value, accessibility, and scale. While consumers have certainly become channel agnostic, the luxury consumer hasn't disappeared. There just aren't many brands being built to service them. Margarita is building a brand on her own terms, self-funding a brand in Valde that embraces the ethos of luxury in an homage to her mother, while feeding her insatiable curiosity, desire to learn, and to pay it forward to the next generation in beauty. She's not creating product for product's sake. She's creating objects to be desired physically and virtually while inspiring all of us about what's possible. So in the end, it's a matter of homage. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter. 
You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media.